morning, everyone. And uh, very welcome to our service this morning. It's a bit of a wet and windy one outside, um, but very welcome. And anyone watching online as well, it's very welcome to join us this morning. I have a few announcements to go through. Just uh, could I congratulate our anchor boys. Uh, they came third in the Northern Ireland Boys Brigade Anchor Praise competition. They had to sing a praise item with actions and uh, submit the video online, and they came third. So give them a wee round of applause there. It's really good. Really, really good. Um, we'd like to just let the congregation know as well that there's a committee meeting pending. Um, it's simply because the policy of the Presbyterian Church is that a new committee should be elected every three years. Uh, of course, those on the present committee have done a tremendous job and they can be re-elected and that is up to the congregation, of course. Uh, church committee meeting will meet uh, on Tuesday, this Tuesday night at half past seven in the church. Um, community outreach worker, the application to appoint has gone through presbytery and is now with a panel of the Linkage Commission uh, when the application will be considered at its meeting on the 22nd of February. So you could pray towards that. And there's a separate application to the Mission Grants panel for a grant, and this will meet on the 3rd of March. And we're asking that the members of the congregation make a special point of praying for these meetings and for the decisions that will be made. Thanks for the continuing generosity uh, of the congregation. A total of 1,260 for the afternoon tea, with gift aid still to be added, and a thousand pound to the PCI Student Bursary Fund. So we appreciate your generosity very, very much. Next Sunday is the 27th of February. It's a family service at 11 o'clock, and there'll be Life Lounge at half past seven in the church. After the service next Sunday morning, um, we're going to have a wee cup of tea, uh, we time of fellowship after the service if you can uh, stay about for a few minutes after next week's service. Uh, World Day of Prayer is in St. Columbanus on Friday the 4th of March at half past seven. I just want to start our service by reading Psalm 90 verses 1 to 5 just to settle our hearts as we come into the presence of the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep away men in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the new morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Let's pray a moment. Father, this psalm reminds us of your greatness. It also reminds us of our frailty. It reminds us of your strength and reminds us of our weakness. And Lord, we were created to depend upon you, not to cope on our own, but to have that link and that dependence and that trust in the one who will never let us go, who will never let us down, and who is faithful always. We pray, forgive the sins, Lord, in our lives. Lord, cleanse them that we might come closer and closer to you this morning. And may you be glorified in everything that's said and done and sung in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to worship God. We're going to sing, O God, our help in ages past.
just like to read from John chapter 19, John 19 verses 25 to 30. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And this is the word of God. Now, boys and girls and everyone else, uh, can I just come over here? As you see, I have a few visual aids here. I want to, to look this morning again at the forgiveness. Do you remember last week we were talking about the forgiveness of Jesus and the crippled man or the paralyzed man? Jesus said, your sins are forgiven and he healed him. I want to look a wee bit more into what it means and how we can know that forgiveness. I have this old box, this old box I had when I was a kid. And in it, when I was a kid, I collected different old coins. Um, here we have the half crown. Do you remember the half crown? Yeah, we um, have got, let me see, I've got one penny. I've got a penny here. I've also got, let me see, I've got, um, yes, there it is, a threepenny bit. Do you remember the threepenny bit? Do you remember? <laughs> Showing our age. Well, see, see some of these coins, though. They're very, very dirty. Very, very scummy. And look at that. You see, they're quite worn and black, very dark. And in a sense, our own lives are a bit like that. Isaiah, when he was in the presence of God, uh, Isaiah 6, when he was standing in the presence of God in the temple, and he saw the Lord, and he looked up, and he saw the Lord lifted high. And he was, the Lord was so pure and white and clean uh, he just he recognized his own stain of sin in his own life in comparison to God. Now, I want you to think about that, okay, because we have stains in our own lives as we sin with stains in our own lives, which we call sin. Now, I'm going to put this in a glass of Coca-Cola, okay? We experiment for you over the next week, okay? Now, <clears throat> what I want to do then is look, first of all, I read from the passage there, Jesus is on the cross. He's on the cross. It's not coming up. Hold on a minute. Is it coming up on anyone? No? Oh. No? Oh, here we go. Okay. It's a very emotional, this, this scene. Jesus is on the cross, and he, he, he looks down and sees his mother, and a couple of friends, and they're weeping, and he tells John to look after his mother, to take care of her. And as he finishes then, he, sa he says, it is finished. In other words, I've done what my Father in heaven wanted me to do. I've died on the cross. Now, the reason he died on the cross was because he took the punishment for our sin, punishment that should have gone on our shoulders, judgment that should have gone with us, Jesus is on the cross and he's saying, it's finished. In other words, I've done what my father has done, wanted me to do and I'm now able to open up a way for, my, for the, anyone to find forgiveness and be reconnected with God again. So he wants to take your hand and he wants to take his father's hand and bring them both together. And it's only because of the cross that we can find forgiveness. It's only because of the cross. Now, boys and girls, I have here, keeping on the theme of stains, I have here a very, very dirty, very dirty sponge. Isn't that absolutely minging? Yes, it is. I was out in the rain last night about 11 o'clock, wiping this in the mud to get it really dirty. But that, in a sense, is what 
our lives are like when we've got sin in our lives. But watch this. I just start to clean it with a wee bit of water. Whoa. And I clean it again. And I clean it again. And before you know it, well, it's reasonably clean. <laughs> before you know it, it's clean. And whenever we come to Jesus Christ, because he's died on the cross, he's opened up a way for us to come and find forgiveness. And so when we come and ask God for forgiveness, he cleanses our hearts and our lives. Now, but why, why would you believe me? But let's have a look at some evidence in the Bible as well. There we have the blood. We're told in 1 John that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, just like I washed that sponge and it was clean. So Jesus, because of his death, and we come to him and forgiveness, ask for forgiveness, he cleanses our hearts and brings our hand and the Father's hand together. Okay, now let me have a, a look here. This is, it says in the Old Testament, as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed my sins. If you're finding it hard to believe that God has forgiven your sins, that they're gone, take this verse of Psalm 103. Here's a little globe that we had in our house. Now, there's, it's, it's, it shows the earth, and the earth rotates, and it rotates on an axis, and the axis is there. It's the North Pole and the South Pole, and that's how it rotates. But the west and the east doesn't have a pole. You could keep walking west continually or walking east continually, and it's so far east over there, west over there, and the psalmist is saying, this is how far God has removed your sins from you. He has cleansed your sins. He has taken those sins away. It's like if God was able to kick a rugby ball and kick it as hard as he possibly could. How far do you think it would go? Would anybody be able to catch it? It would be beyond anybody's reach. And that's what the psalmist is saying, is whenever you get your sins forgiven, when your sins are forgiven, God kicks them beyond reach, that no one can reach your sins, that no one can bring them up or cast them up ever again. They're gone, they're forgiven. Okay, now let's have another wee look at an example in, in scriptures. I, that, that was the storm the other night. That's the Manson Chatworth. <laughs> we had quite a rough night that night. No, but look at the, the passage. Look at the, the passage. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Again, the example of sin being like a stain, like crimson or scarlet, a stain on our souls. But he's telling us, the Lord says, come on, come on, let's talk about this. Come, you can find forgiveness. And whenever I forgive you, your heart will be as white as snow, as clean as a whistle. Okay, now, just to... It all starts with the cross because Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin. That's where it starts. He says, I've done it. I've finished. And now you have access to, the, to me and to the Father through forgiveness. Isn't that wonderful? Now, boys and girls, uh, not only was Jesus die on the cross, but three days later, he rose from the dead. He's risen from the dead. There's no point coming to someone who's dead and asking them forgiveness, but Jesus is risen from the dead. Now, I have, uh, I have one of these experiments which I did earlier. Last Sunday, I bought a bottle of Coke and I put uh, a, a penny, an old dirty penny into the, into the Coke and I lifted it out last night, and look, it's all clean and shiny. And it, it, all the blackness and darkness is gone. So what I want 
if you want after your Sunday school and so forth, you can come up here and you can take a coin and try the experiment for yourself. And you know, don't, you know in a few years' time, this could, be very, this could be worth a lot of money. <laughs> so just remember where you got it. Okay, Alice, do we have many children here? We, don't, we only have two, I think, do we? Would you like to take yours now? You pick a coin there. And you remember this wee story, that just like you clean the coin. Okay, would you like to take one of the coins? Okay, and just like you clean the coin, and all the scum comes off it, Jesus, when you ask Jesus to forgive your sins, he cleanses, cleanses your whole heart and takes away any stain of sin whatsoever. And some mums and dads and grannies and grandmas, you need to, ah, oh, there's, there's someone over here, okay. You need to, you need to hear that as well because some people find it hard to believe that Jesus Christ can totally forgive any sin. Okay, okay, do you like? Here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. So we're going to liven you up a wee bit now. We're going to have a, it's called a happy song. Anybody ever heard of the happy song? Do you know the happy song? Anybody heard the happy song? Let's stand, we'll sing the happy song. Maybe sing it a couple of times through, maybe to get these going. Okay, right. Feel free to clap as well.
Okay. You should see some of your faces. You sort of... You know, dancing Presbyterians, who's ever heard of that before? But that's, like, I mean, that's the theme of Paul in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord, no matter what your circumstances are. Rejoice in the Lord. There's a silver lining behind the cloud. Rejoice in him. Okay, so I boys and girls could go out to, to Sunday school now. Um, I read out last week the moderator's uh, letter about Afghanistan and how he would like to give, a, give us an opportunity and encourage us to give uh, towards the crisis out there, whether through Christian aid or whether through, Chris, uh, through Tear Fund. I, I've put together a little PowerPoint here myself from different websites, um, but the dialogue, though, was mainly from Tear Fund. So uh, Afghanistan is in the grip of a catastrophic food shortage. Half of the population don't have enough to eat. And now the bitter cold is setting in um, with temperatures that are dropping to as little as minus 20 degrees centigrade. And one Samaritan purse partner in Afghanistan reported finding a family with three children who had frozen to death. Your support will help our local partners provide emergency food packages as well as distribute winter kits to help families who have lost their homes to help them stay warm. The generous donations of our supporters have already made a difference. Hundreds of families have received life-saving support, but the situation is getting worse every day. We're not living like normal humans, says Mahanad, a 38-year-old father of three, how will life go on in a family without bread, without clothes, fuel, and less than 80%, 80 pence per week? Every night, Mohanad and his wife have to listen to the cries of their hungry children. More than three million children like theirs are at risk from severe malnutrition. But together as the church, we can save lives and restore hope and dignity to people like Mohanad. Years of conflict, poverty, and the disruption caused by the pandemic are already taking their toll on the people of Afghanistan. The recent conflict and change of government, coupled with the worst drought in 27 years, have tipped the country over the edge. Economic collapse has sent food prices soaring. More than 22 million people are facing severe hunger in the next three months. Three million children under five are expected to suffer acute malnutrition over the winter, with one in three of these at risk of dying. Hundreds of thousands of people have lost their homes to conflict in the last year. Conflict and the coronavirus pandemic have overwhelmed the country's healthcare system. Malnutrition will make people more vulnerable to the virus. By donating to our appeal, you will be enabling our local partners to meet the immediate needs of the most vulnerable and marginalized people. And we've been asked to pray to pray for the people who are struggling to afford food, to pray for groups such as Tear Fund and Christian Aid and Samaritan's Purse as they try to get aid to them and for the country's health care system. It really is a very serious crisis and uh, one that we can't wait around too long to try and help folk like this. So we're going to pray now um, for these people. Father, we, we pray, Lord, for... Folk, Lord, um, if we can try and imagine our own families, Father, watching our children who are starving and w watching them shiver at night from lack of clothing or blankets, and Father, just the oppression in that country as well. Father, we do want to pray, Lord, that you would get food and clothing to the people that really need it, that, Father, that you would help those families who 
where fathers are even selling their kidneys to try and pay for food for their family, or selling their children even, who are very desperate to just try and feed the family. God, when we are so comfortable over here, it's hard for us to comprehend that. Um, but Father, if we can imagine our own children in that situation, if we can imagine just having uh, very little work to do and very little pay, uh, Father, just struggling so much on 80 pence per week, Lord, I, I pray, Father, give us a heart, Father, for them. And Lord, I pray, God, for all of them, that you would be helping them through Christian Aid and through Samaritan's Purse and through Tear Fund. Lord, that you would just bring the people, the people on the ground in those organizations, bring them to the right folk. May they get food and clothing. May they get comfort and strength from them. And Lord, we pray also for their healthcare system, which already has been very badly hit by the pandemic. But on top of that now, Lord, with with hunger, with starvation, with, with uh, lack of clothes. Father, just people are cramming into the hospitals. And there aren't enough beds. And we just pray, God, help the, the healthcare system uh, at this time in Afghanistan. In Jesus' name, amen. And you'll notice in, within your order of service, there was a little, there's a little envelope. And if you'd like to give, we're going to leave that open to this week and next week. And um, please take this opportunity to give in the envelopes that are provided. Thank you very much. Um, okay, so we're going to stand and we're going to sell our hearts. Amazing grace. That's what Paul experiences. That's what he talks about in Philippians. The amazing grace of God. And so much, we take that for granted. We take it for granted that Jesus gave his life for us. We take it for granted the agony and the humiliation all of that involved. And we take it, we're so familiar with it. But it's amazing grace. Without him, we'd be on our way to a lost eternity. We'd be on our way to a separation from the Father forever. And we just want to thank God for Jesus Christ. So let's stand and, and sing Amazing Grace. I came across during the week a very short video um, on in Open Doors on their website, and it's the voice of an Afghan believer. So we want to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan at the moment. 
तो हमारी दुनिया उलट पुलट गई थी कुछ समझ नहीं आ रहा था और महसूस होता था कि खौफनाक रात का आगाज होने को है कुछ समझ नहीं आ रही थी क्या हम सब कुछ छोड़कर भाग जाएं या इधर ही रहें? जिस रात तालिबान काबुल में आए थे उसी रात मेरी बहन ने अपने बेटे को जन्म दिया था बेचारे का क्या मुस्तबिल होगा ना अपने मजहब को समझ सकेगा ना औरत की इज्जत को उसके मुस्तबिल में अभी बहुत कुछ पड़ा है खौफ इस बात का है कि अब हम तालिबान के रहमो करम पर होंगे वो तालिबान जो सिर्फ नजरिए के अख्तलाफ के बाद कत्ल को फर्ज समझते थे हर घर में हमारी तलाशी कर रहे हैं और अगर हम में से उन्हें कोई मिल जाए वही उसे कत्ल कर देते हैं और पता नहीं उन्हें किसने ईमानदारों के बारे में बता दिया है हमारे ईमानदार हम सारे भाग चुके हैं पता नहीं वो किधर हैं क्या वो ठीक होंगे पता नहीं किस दिन ये हमारे दरवाजे पर आ जाएंगे डर लगता है कि उन लोगों के आने से पहले कहीं भूख ही ना हमें मार दे तीन रोज से एक ही दाल की कटोरी पे मेरा पूरा खानदान गुजारा कर रहा है अब समझ नहीं आ रही कि कल क्या खाएंगे क्योंकि दाल भी खत्म होने को है बहुत दिल करता है कि हम इसी तरह अपने ईमानदार बहन भाइयों के साथ अपने खुदा की परस्तिश करें उसके हजूर सर चुकाए पर अब ये मुमकिन नहीं हम सिर्फ अपने बुजुर्ग को रात की तारीखी में हमसे मिलने की इजाजत देते हैं ताकि ना उनको कोई देख सके ना हमें हमारा ईमान उसी पर है और मरते दम तक रहेगा ऐ खुदा आसानी पैदा कर मुझ में इतनी जरूरत नहीं कि मैं अपनी खुशी अपने गम और अपने मसाइल से आपको रोशनास करा सकूं। उसी ने हमें बेशक मुश्किलें बर्दाश्त करने को बुलाया है जब उन्होंने मसीह को नहीं छोड़ा तो हमें कैसे छोड़ेंगे लेकिन मैं ये जानती हूँ कि मेरा मसीह और आपका मसीह एक है और हम दुआ के जरिए एक दूसरे के साथ जुड़े हुए हैं क्योंकि हम मसीह का बदन हैं। खुदा आप पर हमारी मुश्किलात अया करेगा Father what what a, a challenge that if such a threat was here father would we stand to such a challenge if trust in you as savior and lord was going to meet with possible persecution or even death lord would we stand or is very challenging we pray that you would be with those brothers and sisters in Christ out in Afghanistan Lord we pray that you would give them the strength that they need we pray Lord that your presence may be so real to them that your strength may be so real to them that you might put your arms around them that Lord that they might be a share of people's prayers in other parts of the world we just pray God for those that are really struggling those who've gone missing and no one knows where they are lord we just pray bring a peace to your brethren to your people out there as they meet whether it's in homes this morning or or just in secret places father we just pray that you'd give them in such encouragement and such help in jesus christ's name amen
Okay, so I just want to continue our series with Philippians, uh, the book of Philippians, um, seeing life from God's perspective. And I'd like to read from chapter 1, verses 27 uh, to 30. And it ties in quite well with looking at persecution this morning and thinking of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Amen. On a wall in his bedroom, Charles Spurgeon had a plaque with Isaiah 48, verse 10 on it. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. And he writes, it's no mean thing to be chosen of God. He, he says, God's choice makes chosen men choice men. We're chosen not in the palace, but in the furnace. In the furnace, beauty is marred. Fashion is destroyed. Strength is melted. Glory is consumed. Yet here, eternal love reveals its secrets and declares its choice. My theme for this message today is a silver lining behind every cloud. That whatever you're going through, there is, when, you, when God is involved, there is a silver lining behind every cloud. So I want to look at four positives that we find in this passage in an environment of negatives. Um, we are, Paul, Paul tells us basically in the, these few verses that we are, first of all, citizens of heaven. Secondly, we're carriers of the gospel. Thirdly, we're comrades in battle. And fourthly, we're Christ's disciples. But citizens of heaven, verse 27, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel in Christ. And there's actually an under-translation in this uh, of the Greek. A more accurate translation is, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul's telling the Christians of Philippi, live as citizens, but not as citizens of Rome, but citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The problem is that the, uh, well, you've heard the phrase, you're familiar, I'm sure, with the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Well, the problem is that the Christians can't do as the Romans do. Their loyalty to Christ will not allow them. And Philippi was known as little Rome, you can't, you can't get any more Roman than Philippi unless you go to Rome itself. And uh, there was no doubt about it that their Lord was Caesar. Every event, every gathering, he was honored. He was seen as divine. Caesar is Lord in Philippi. And of course, for Christians, Jesus Christ is Lord. And so there was going to be an, an inevitable clash between the two. Um, strangely enough, at times... Christians were, were called by the Romans, they were called atheists because they didn't recognize the divinity of Caesar. You know, they were seen as un-Roman. They were seen as a threat to society. So to live in such an environment as a Christian was very difficult. Persecution was widespread. Paul here in verse 27 is saying to them, but no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult it gets and painful it gets, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ is your Lord, and one day everyone will bow to him, including Nero. I hope you realize this morning that you've, if you've decided to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that children's address was as much for you because Christ forgives you, but sometimes you don't forgive yourself. But if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, um, you're a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of heaven. 
you're in a very privileged spot. And the Lord in power has without a shadow of doubt his best interest for you at heart. Verse, chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, a silver lining behind every cloud. If you're going through a tough time at the moment, the silver lining behind every cloud, you're a citizen of heaven, you're a child of God, and he's got your life in his hands. I remember my father, um, I think I'm getting old because I'm starting to like this singer, Jim Reeves. <laughs> That's a sign, I think, that I'm getting old because I used to hate it. But uh, my dad, I remember my dad used to go around singing around the house some of his songs. And one of them was, um, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We're citizens of heaven, first of all. But secondly, Paul says we are, we are um, carriers, carriers of the gospel. The evidence of living for Christ as citizens of heaven is living a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book last night, Discipleship, and he talks about a cheap grace that we often use, that we take the grace of God and the death of Christ so for granted, we're so familiar with it, whereas it's an expensive grace. You know, how difficult it would be to live in such an atmosphere as Philippi or Afghanistan, to live for Christ in such an oppressively Roman environment, to commit to Christ as Lord instead of committing to Caesar as Lord. Everyone else is shouting, Caesar is Lord. And in your heart, you're declaring Christ is Lord. Now, how difficult it would be to share with your Roman neighbors the gospel, let alone stand in a marketplace and declare the gospel. We may, we may often pray for revival in our land, and I, and I want revival in our land. It would be tremendous, tremendous to see revival in our land. But if we knew that revival would, would come only at such a cost, we'd be, we'd be as keen to pray for it. Paul's priority was the gospel, the message of salvation for all those who trusted in Jesus Christ. People need to hear this. The church at Philippi, in spite of their pressure that they're under to conform to the Roman culture, Paul is saying, please, 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 don't give up. Live a life worthy of the gospel. Don't give in. Don't compromise your faith. Peter writes, you know, we were bought or redeemed not with silver, not with gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It cost. It cost. There's a man called Polycarp. He was the bishop of Smyrna in AD 168. He was the last living link with the apostles because he studied under John, the apostle John. And he was arrested. And the proconsul that tried to persuade him to deny Jesus Christ, they said, swear by the fortune of Caesar. They said to him, swear by the fortune of Caesar. Take the oath and I'll rescue you. I'll release you. Curse Christ and it'll all be over. Curse Christ and you'll be set free. And Polycarp stood firm, an elderly gentleman. And he said, 86 years I have served the Lord Jesus Christ, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And he was executed. And Paul is saying, whatever happens, no matter how difficult it gets, conduct yourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be true to your citizenship. But thirdly, Paul tells us that we're also, we're comrades in battle. He says, I want to know, I will know, I, you know, stand firm. I'll, I, I want to know, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one of the, for the faith of the gospel. 
together as one, standing, striving side by side. And that's what we need to do, Ballycrocken. We need to do that in our society, in our pagan culture. We need to be shoulder to shoulder, standing side by side, striving side by side. The language is that of of a group of soldiers standing beside one another, or a group of athletes who are focused on on the gold medal, standing, striving beside one another. When one person feels weak, holding them up. Fellowship among God's people can never be overemphasized. And unfortunately now, it's good that we have the internet, we can use the internet, we go online, but when you're on the internet, you don't feel that fellowship and that strength that you do when you're face-to-face and, and connecting. But we're glad to have that. But we want the fellowship. You know, what's happening to these people in Philippi is that as they're under pressure, they're being glued together. Silver lining behind every cloud. People under pressure, they're being thrown together to produce genuine fellowship, genuine support. Church is not a a selection of isolated events. It's not a coming together just one day a week. Church is not um, just every man for himself. It's a lifestyle of working together, supporting one another. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul knew that the teamwork was so necessary for the church to survive and to thrive. He calls for them to stand firm, to strive side by side, and take your strength, he says, from the power of the Spirit of God. He says, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. He says that in Romans 6.10. Take your strength from one another, but more importantly, take your strength from the Spirit of God who lives inside you, who raised Jesus from the dead. You know, he says, do this without being frightened. Don't be frightened. The term that Paul uses here for frightened, it's a a term that's used for um, startling a stampede of horses. It's a panic reaction. He says, do not panic. When you panic, you lose your focus. Do not panic. Keep your head. You're a citizen of heaven. God's in control. God's with you. God's resources are there for you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner of citizens, as citizens worthy of the gospel of Christ. Or didn't Christ say to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, then how shall it be made salty again? This church, we're salt. We're not to be just ordinary, we're to be extraordinary. We're to make the community sit up and think. We're to make this community feel valued and cared for. That we might lead them to the one who cares for them more than we do. We need to remain fresh with our relationship with God and effective in Christ and for Christ. Paul writes in Romans 12 too, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A sobering question which sometimes I ask myself is, uh, does the world have more of an influence on me than I do on it? Who influences who today? We are to influence, to be salt and light in this community. There are people out there who have lost all hope. There are people out there who have heard that they've got a serious illness in the past week and they've been diagnosed and things are not looking. There are people out there who need Christ, who need our support. And Paul says we've got to stand together, shine together, strive together to help those within the church congregation help those without as well. Fourthly and finally then, we are Christ's disciples. Paul writes, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. 
If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you're a child of God and you're a citizen of heaven because of the grace of God. You know, it's been a favor that God has given you, a favor that's been undeserved. And by his spirit in your life, you've received the gospel, you've repented, you've surrendered to him, and you've, you've experienced his grace and his love. But here, Paul talks about another type of grace, which what he's referring to here is the grace to suffer for him. Like it's a gift. Now, this is a harder pill to swallow. That God has granted you by grace that he's allowing you to suffer for him. You know, we tend to prefer to, to read, you know, read past those portions of Scripture. That, that God is allowing us to suffer and that's something that's graciously done by him. You know, the verb granted, it literally translated means graced because it means to give freely or graciously as a favor. Now, you might be thinking, I don't want those types of favors from God. But Paul is saying God grants us the favor of suffering for him. It's a gift to us. That's real difficult, isn't it? It's very, very difficult. Now, we live in a society where we want life to be as comfortable as possible. We prefer to consider his care in our lives, his protection, his blessings in our lives. But this, it sticks in our throat. It does in mind anyway to read from Paul that suffering for Christ is a vital part of our call. That some, suffering for Christ is something that God gives to us as an act of grace. This is certainly seeing life from God's perspective. None of us want to suffer. And indeed, this was quite an eye-opener in Paul's day as well because there was a false teaching going around saying, listen, if you become a Christian, you'll never have any problems. Everything will be fine. And I've heard that today as well, recent days. You'll be fine. There'll be no suffering, no hardship for you. But Paul sees his own suffering, not something that he hates, not something to be hated, but rather something to be embraced because it's in that place of suffering and that place of pain and persecution that he finds God the most, that he finds God's strength coming through when he's weak, that he finds God's hope coming through when, him, when he's despairing. It's in those times. It's a silver lining behind every cloud. He says, and later in this letter, he says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And of course, that was the attitude of all of the New Testament church. Privileged to suffer for Christ. Privileged to suffer for him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his discipleship book he describes discipleship as a call to come and die. To come, not, maybe not physically die, but he died in a prisoner of war camp ministering to people. But there's other ways of dying, he says. You know, when you give your life to Christ and put away selfish desires for the sake of the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Paul reminds the Christians in Philippi, you and I are going through the same struggle, but stand strong. I would say that to you. If your faith's wavering this morning, you know, all of our faiths waver at some point. If your faith is wavering, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling discouraged, don't give up. Stand firm. Be strong. Talk to someone. Let the people around you encourage you, strengthen you, help you. And most of all, spend time with your Father. He longs to spend time with you. He longs to just lift you up by the power of His Spirit and help you make the next step and the next step forward. You know, we're walking the same way Jesus walked when we suffer. And Paul said, it's not a privilege. But most of us, probably in our lifetimes, we will not experience that type of suffering where we're being persecuted for our faith. 
that there are types of suffering which God will allow us to go through in order to refine us, in order to bring us or to bring him glory. Hebrews 2, like Jesus had to suffer, we're told, isn't that amazing? We're told that Jesus had to suffer. Hebrews 2 verse 10, that God the Father, in order to make Jesus perfect, he had to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. Was Jesus Christ not perfect? Well, he was. He was sinless. He was morally perfect. But there was one thing that he lacked. One thing that he needed. He needed to be touched by pain. He needed to be living amongst us. That, it, that he might experience what it's like to be you and me. To be touched by physical pain. And, and to know what it's like to be disappointed. To know what it's like to be hurt. To know what it's like to be rejected. To know what it's like to be humiliated. To know what it's like to be isolated. To know what bereavement is. And God the Father put his son through such suffering that he might identify with you and me. Likewise, God uses suffering and hardship in our lives to refine us. Peter, in 1 Peter 1.7, he tells us that faith tested turns, that faith tested by fire turns into praise. And an old goldsmith, in order to purify the gold, to get all the impurities out, he used to put it in the furnace and melt it. And then he'd take it out of the, the furnace as molten and he'd put it into uh, cold water and all the dirt would come up to the surface and he'd take the scum off and then he'd take what's hardened gold in the cold water he'd take that out and he'd put it in the furnace again and he'd melt it again and he'd put it in the cold water and take some more scum off and he'd keep repeating this process and repeating this process again and again and again and he'll know that all the impurities out of it and he's able to look at the gold and see his face reflected in it and that's what God does. Sometimes we're in the furnace. God, this hurts. God, I am hurting. God, this doesn't feel like fairness to me. This is sore. And he puts us in the furnace. But it's often in the furnace that God does his greatest work in cleansing us, in drawing us closer to him when we're weak. You know, if you are discouraged this morning, if you have been in pain, don't be discouraged. God never wastes pain. God never wastes it. And he'll bring you through stronger than you were before. I need to stop. Silver lining behind every cloud. Job said this. He said, well, he was talking about not being able to find God. I don't know where God is in my situation. I don't know. I can't find him. But he says, he knows the way that I take. I don't know where he is, but he knows exactly where I am. And when he's tested me, I shall come forth as gold. Dark days with God, there's always a silver lining behind every cloud. Sometimes we'll see God's purpose in this life, but sometimes we'll have to wait to see it in the next. I just finished with a quote from a, a, an old journalist, some of you might remember, Malcolm Muggeridge, and he once wrote this. Contrary to what might be expected, I look back on experiences that at the time seemed especially desolating and painful with particular satisfaction. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness, that everything I've learned in my 75 years in this world, everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my experience has been through affliction and not through happiness. Sometimes God uses the furnace to help us grow closer and stronger in him. Let's pray. Father, it's true our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways are not your ways. Father, but we do know that you have our best interests at heart and we surrender our lives to you in your care because you love us more than anyone ever has or ever will. Amen.
just going to finish. Sorry, I went on a wee bit long there this morning. Um, but uh, I just want to finish with, he will hold us fast. I'm dependent not on myself. He's got me. He's, it's not me holding on to him as much as he is holding on to me. He's got me and he's got you in his grasp. This is an old one, but I love this one. He will hold us fast. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.